Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. I've decided to follow Jesus. Amen. Hallelujah. There's some quality decisions in this room, and I'm glad that uh, they say when the, and you may be seated for a little while, they say when the Spanish conquistadors came uh, to America, they didn't know what they were going to face. They didn't know what kind of foes they may have to fight, but they knew they had come too far to turn back. And it is said that many of them burned the ship they came in. Other ships would come once they established kind of like a beachhead and they established some civilization here. But their ship, which they could have got on and left, they burned it. In other words, we have made a commitment. We're going forward. We're going on. We are not, no matter what we may face, we are not. Going back is no longer an option. If you leave out of New York and you head uh, east for, for England and France and the British Isles, and you leave out of LaGuardia in New York City, that plane will travel east until it reaches a point over the ocean, nothing but ocean between the continents. And there is a, there is a, a someone on that plane that is charting their course as they travel. And he will report to the pilot and the co-pilot when they reach a midway point, they're right at the point. And you know what it's called? It's called the point of no return. In other words, from that point forward, no matter what happens, it's closer to go on. If you have engine trouble, you have to kill an engine and limp in on two or three. It's closer to go on to the destination than it is to turn around and head back. It's called the point of no return. And I believe in every Christian life, there needs to be a point of no return. We sung it in the song, didn't we? Though none go with me. Still, I will follow. It has to get that personal. You have to be that devoted and that committed. But if you are, amen, you'll be like Paul, who, who you couldn't head him off even if you cut off his head. Can you say, man, you threaten him with that, and he says, I'm ready to be offered up. The time of my departure is at hand. I've fought a good fight. I've kept the faith, and there's nothing else for me to do here. I'm ready to go. Amen. I finished my course. Praise God. Well, if you have your Bibles just for a moment, I want to revisit something that is that uh, we need to take a, another look at here in this time of uh, peril. Perilous times are here. The end times are here. It was preached when I was uh, uh, a young Christian. And, and it was always kind of, it was, it was pretty tough. The world was always a rough place since the fall. But that time, that specific time that characterized the last of the last days was always something that was going to come. It's going to really get bad, but it's, it was something future. Well, I've lived long enough now uh, to be in that time. It's not coming. It's here. And because it's here, it indicates that the coming of the Lord is very near. So everything I preach and everything that I teach now is through that understanding of where we are. We remember the sons of Issachar. They were part of David's men of valor. And you go down the list of the, the people who learned how to, how to believe God and trust God. and They did these exploits that were on the level uh, of David himself. They... they they slayed giants. They slayed lions. They slayed uh, fierce armies uh, in the name of the Lord. But among them were the sons of Issachar, men of understanding of the times that Israel might know what to do. Among them were the sons of Issachar, men of understanding of the times that Israel might know what to do. Peter understood the times he was in and the times that were going to come that we are in now. And he said, seeing that these things, the, the, earth, the, the purging of the earth, the elements being on fire, uh, nothing, man thinks everything is going to go on uh, forever and forever and forever. Just it isn't. 
It's going to be interrupted with the coming of Christ, with the tribulation, with all of these things, seeing that you know these things are going to come to pass. The heavens being on fire with fervent heat, the earth, earth being perceived that you know that. What manner of men ought you to be? Can you say, man, we ought not to be earthbound Christians living uh, exclusively for the material, physical, and temporal. We should be living for the eternal and the everlasting. Can you say, man? All right. Having said that, there are things in our life that is very difficult to deal with. And one of them is something that I, I have to fight constantly, and that's worry. Worry is common. Being a believer doesn't make you superhuman. You have to work all of your faith and, and within your humanity. And if, if I got a call right now and said, uh, if my wife was traveling back from somewhere from our vacation, if I got a call and said, your wife from the highway patrol or knock on the door and the highway patrol is standing there and say, there has been a terrible automobile accident and your wife has been airlifted to Tampa General. We do not know her condition. I would not say, well, you know, I'm just going to trust that to God. I'll, after I get through preaching and teaching and, and, and I go gas up my car and get the love bugs off my windshield, I'll ease on down to Tampa General. No, that's not faith. That's crazy. You, you, I, that's either subhuman or superhuman, and we're neither. We are, we are, we are absolutely human. And something that is common to our humanity is worry. And I would be worried. I'd be so worried while on my way, fast as I could get to the hospital, I would be praying with everything that's in me. You see, fear can work against what the devil wants it to do if we manage it correctly. If it drives me to prayer and drives me to trust the Lord, whatever brought it has backfired on the devil. Can you say amen? Dale used to say it. If she was here, I'd, I would tell her something good today. She said that at, at one point in her life when God was moving through some bad situations, she said the things that used to knock us on our back now put us on our face. That's wisdom. If it drives you to prayer, it's backfired on the devil. Can you say amen? So we're not running from the devil when we run to God. That's a wise thing to do, not a weak thing to do. Amen. Any, anybody else need a, a coat? Are you, are you chilly? You're not chilly? Are you sure you're not chilly? You're not? You're chilly, aren't you? A little bit. I want to give somebody my coat because I'm getting warm up here already. You're not chilly, are you? What a man. Man of steel. <laughs> You're a man of steel by the grace of God. So, okay. I, amen. How many's ever been worried? You got to deal with it. I have to deal with it. Can't escape it. Not in a fallen world and in a faulty body. You can't escape it. And those that say they can, I believe are disingenuous. <laughs> I, I don't believe they're being completely honest. I hear preachers that uh, preach faith on a level that's way up here above everything. And, you know, they talk like it's, I just, I don't have any problems. All I have is answers. And I thought, you haven't been in the valley yet. Because when you get in the valley, you're going to have a problem in that valley. But you, there is an answer to the problem, but it's not one of these snap answers. You're going to have to humble yourself and quit being so proud of your faith. Amen. Living in your, you know, safe world where you go and preach on the platform and, and then you go back to the hotel and then back to your headquarters and, and no one sees you in those times uh, that you are down in that deep, dark valley. I appreciate how forthright Paul was, don't you, and how honest he was. I would not have you to be ignorant Brethren, 
concerning the trouble that we experienced in Asia. How we, the apostles and himself, the disciples and himself, how we were pressed beyond measure. You have limits in your humanity. Every one of us have limits. How we, we, this is the guy that was caught up to third heaven. This is the guy that people were healed miraculously under his ministry. This is the, the guy that wrote 13 of the 27 books of the New Testament because of revelation knowledge. And he said, but I was, the trouble we had, what, whatever happened in Asia pushed them to their limits and beyond. I would not have you to be ignorant. I'm not going to hide it from you and imply that you can live in some bubble because of your faith and not feel the pressure and the pain uh, that's going to come in this world. Jesus said it, didn't he? In this world. How many still live in this world? You haven't moved to some planet where there's nothing but peace. You haven't moved out west and built a home on the range where the deer and the antelope play where... Nothing is heard, never is heard, never is heard, never, never, never. You can turn on CNN, you can look at ABC, Fox News, pick up the New York Post, Noth never is heard a discouraging word. Oh, in the skies, while we're at it, the skies, it never storms, there's no tornadoes, there's no hurricanes, there's not even any hail, there's not even any hail. I remember watching Red Skelton on black and white TV. You know, he would sneak some things in that now don't seem too outlandish. Back then, it was outlandish, and he was a weatherman. Remember Red Skelton? Y'all don't remember Red Skelton, do you? You do? Okay, you're, you're, getting, you're coming on up. I, I'm getting a mature audience here that I can relate to. You don't remember Red Skelton? Well, it wasn't a skeleton. His name was Skelton. He was a comedian back in the day, 50s early 60s he was around and he was he, he had this board and he had pieces of cotton where he was putting uh, snow and something else he was sticking on the board for hail and uh, and he he said he said we're going to have snow here we're going to have something here and then in death valley death valley he put the symbol for hail and someone in the audience said no, no, that goes up in Minnesota. And he said, oh, oh, I'm sorry. Thank goodness we can get the hail out of Death Valley. <laughs> that was black and white days, amen. Red Skelton. It was all black and white and pure and doesn't sound outlandish. Today. Everybody went, oh, what did he just say? Amen. He's talking about the ice in Death Valley, which just didn't happen. Listen to me today. The, the Lord is moving by His Spirit. We are in the last of the last days. It's easier to worry now and to be gripped by fear than it's ever been in any previous generation. The Bible said when they asked, What shall be the sign of thy coming? He talked about the, the, the signs that just precede and when the beginning of sorrows comes. These are the beginning. The end is not yet, but this is the beginning of of sorrows, birth pangs. That's what Jesus was talking about when he said a similar word, tribulation, thelpsis, pressure, pain, anguish. What shall be the sign of thy coming? Matthew 24. And when shall these things be? He said, Men's, there shall be earthquakes in diverse places. There shall be wars and rumors of wars. Uh, there shall be, there shall be dis, distress of nations with perplexity. All of these complicated problems facing them and they, puzzlement is the word. They don't know what to do. The best thinkers, the most educated, the highest intellects, they don't know what to do. And still, they refuse to bow and look to God for their answers. Amen. And men's hearts, along with all of this, the sea and the waves will be roaring. And that's not just the earthquakes and the creating the tidal waves. But the Bible said it's in the culture itself of the end time. Without the weather conditions, without these, these things that are going to be occurring. Because the Bible said the wicked in the Old Testament are like the troubled sea. 
whose waters are so troubled on the top that it is deep as the sea. We're not talking about a pond or a lake, but as deep as the sea is, the waters are so troubled on top that it's affecting the sediment in the bottom of the sea, whose waters cast up mire and dirt. There is no peace, saith God, unto the wicked. There's no place to get it. We're in an opiate addicted crisis right here and it's not the, the 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 it's not the heroin although a lot of people that can't get the opiates now through a prescription the high high powered drugs are now absolutely good people church going people people with pain that they can't manage and peace they can't find they are going to some of the hard street drugs because they can't get the prescription drugs. It's a crisis. Someone told me while they were in rehab, they met a judge, a lady judge, that is sentencing people for doing drugs and buying drugs and having drugs, and she's in rehab because of painkillers that have addicted her. Not just help with the pain, but addicted her. My uncle got addicted. Church of God pastor, church of God preacher for over 20 years. He got addicted because of back pain. He hurt his back. He went to the doctor. They prescribed him something for the pain. It got worse. They described him something heavier. While his back was giving him physical pain, his marriage was giving him emotional pain. He took a church of 800 people, biggest church he had ever pastored in his life. He was the youngest man in that organization to become an overseer over other ministers. He was climbing the ladder within that particular Pentecostal denomination. He had a big church. He had a big parsonage. But he was, his life was beginning to unravel. And you know what he found out? He found out that, that when his, his pain in his back was managed through the drugs, something else was happening. There was a psychological dependency on those drugs for the peace that he didn't have in his life any longer. His church that he thought would be so wonderful became a pressure. He pastored a church in Ocala. He loved to hunt. He killed Bambi and her mama. No, I'm just kidding. He he did hunt deer, and and you know he's, you know what I'm saying. I don't hunt deer I, because they're just sweet little animals. Yeah, he rubbing his belly already, saying, "Well, if you kill it, eat it. It's like fishing, right? Throw it back or eat it, but don't just flop it out on the bank. I mean, you know, come on, have a heart, eat that fish, amen." And he loved to go hunting with his brethren. It drew them close together. They went out in the woods and they hunted together. And, and he had a, they, they got up on a roof and put a roof on, a, on the building, worked together. And they had a good relationship and he had a good ministry. Because of his position within the Church of God, he met David Wilkerson personally and had lunch with him in New York City. Uh, he had a radio broadcast, but a door opened for a big church in North Carolina, Kannapolis, North Carolina. And he took it because he was encouraged. You'd be crazy if you didn't move from this, you know, 150 people and this fellowship and everything going good. And But take that church. You'd be crazy not to. All of his brethren told him, the older men of God told him, you better seize the day and take this opportunity. He didn't really seek God about it. He just listened to them. And when you make a decision, I make a decision about ministry. We need to know God's will, not what is, you know. So he took it without praying. And he got under a pressure that he had never been under in all those years of pastoring. Because 800 people, as one pastor put it, as I told him the story, he said meant 800 more problems. If everybody had a problem at the same time, which they didn't, but if you've got 100 out of the 800, you're on call and you're on duty. And his family relationship began to break down. His personal life began to break down. And even after his back pain was managed, the pain in his heart was not. 
And he continued. And so when he talked to his doctor about all the things going on, they prescribed not only painkillers, but the things that are supposed to help you with your emotions. And he became addicted to Valium. And if you need medication, every good and perfect gift and medications come from God. I talked to a lady in counseling about that the other, just a week ago, actually. Every good and perfect gift. But there's a word in the book of Revelation. And it's the word that we, we are recognized immediately. But when we see it in Revelation, we don't relate it to this word that we would recognize immediately. Speaking of Babylon and the judgment that was coming on Babylon, said neither, neither repented her, and it went down the list, and it got to a word, sorcery. When I saw that word, when I think of sorcery, I think of, of witchcraft. I think of the occult. But the word sorcery in the book of Revelation related to Babylon is the word pharmacos. Pharmacos. Is there any word in our... Anglo-Saxon English language that we think might come from that word, pharmacy. Why is it a pharmacy? Because drugs are dispensed there. Good drugs to help people. I personally am glad for, for aspirin back when that was the drug for pain. I appreciated there being something to take. I remember having a toothache and taking a whole aspirin and crunching down on it and letting it get right in through that gum quickly into that area. Uh, wow, that's not the best way to do it. <laughs> but, but I remember thinking, I thank the Lord for, for, for insulin. If someone is a diabetic, I thank the Lord for uh, antibiotics. You go to the cemeteries that, where I'm from up in Kentucky, and you see all of these children that died during the pioneer days. They died of simple things, easily treated with drugs, but they didn't have the drugs to treat them. So there are good drugs, and the good drugs, God has given man the wisdom, amen, to develop them and discover them. But there's bad drugs, and the enemy is using that, and America is an addicted nation. And there's more to this than the chemical there's a spiritual dynamic and dimension to it. I believe there is a spirit of addiction. And when the door is open, that inroad is made and my uncle got into that. He, he would go to one doctor and get a prescription. But it wasn't enough to satisfy his body and his soul's demand for peace and for this kind of numbness to, to the hurt and the pain in his life. He lost his relationship with his family. And after all of these years of serving God, he became divorced. When he became divorced, his church organization did not want him and would not permit him to minister in any of the churches within the organization. So they turned their back on him. When he was going through the hardest time in his life, his overseer came and told him to get his act together. He represents the church of God. And he better get his act. You don't need, when you're breaking and falling apart, somebody to tell you to get your act together. You need somebody to come alongside you with some instruction, but some encouragement and some compassion and just some, some of the love of God. So he felt abandoned and he went deeper into the addiction. And he'd go to one doctor and get a prescription. And then he would drive 30 miles away and go to another doctor, get another prescription. They would have never given him the amount that he was taking if he hadn't used that. But when, the, when that drive is upon someone, my son became an alcoholic and it drove him. It drove him. It drove him. 
I told someone the other day, in fact, I'm counseling. I want you to know I'm talking to a lot of people about a lot of important spiritual issues. And I told, I told him the other day, uh, this, this person I was talking to, I said, you know, I really believe that I could sit down and, and uh, particularly with pasta, I, I don't like wine. If I want grape juice, I don't want it to taste like vinegar. Amen. So I don't care for wine. I don't care for any of those alcoholic beverages. I drank them. I don't like them. Uh, I don't like, I, I, I just, that's, but my son took a drink. You know where he got his first drink? A Christian band that played and ministered and, and, and preached on the beach and out in public places, they introduced him to his first alcoholic beverage that he ever had. They did not become alcoholics. My son did. And it hooked him. And it hooked him hard. There's a spirit of addiction. And so Babylon was known for it. Pharmacos, and this is the bad use of that, these mind-altering drugs. And my uncle became addicted. He became so addicted trying to deal with the pain and look for the peace that only Christ could give that he couldn't get it in his system fast enough. So he would mash the Valium up into powder, put it in a saline solution, and inject it directly into his veins, just like a hardcore drug user. Only his was prescription. In the last days, men's hearts will fail them for fear and looking at the things which are coming upon the earth. These, Jesus said, are the beginning. The end is not yet, but it's close. It's coming. These are the beginning of sorrows. It's another word we don't recognize immediately in the way they did in the Aramaic. And it's the word for birth pangs. That meant the wars will be like birth pangs as we get closer to the end. There's always been war since the beginning, since the fall and rumors of wars. But there will, they will come in quick succession. There's always been earthquakes, but they will come in quick succession, just like labor pains. Someone in labor, you take them to the hospital, first thing they're going to want to know. How? No, they don't care how bad the pain is. They, they do want to know that. They do. I'm sorry. But they want to know how close are they coming. Can you say amen? Now, we're in a time when, when we're out of a, we've had a little space out of a war. But historically, they've been coming. Boom, boom, boom. Boom. Earthquakes have kind of died down a little, but now there's shakings and there's quakings. And, and the seismologists are telling us that, that they're coming again. There's another round of earthquakes coming in all kinds of different places in the world. Amen. The sea and waves roaring. The tidal waves as a result of the quaking of the earth. I, this is this is just me, but I believe part of what it means, a spiritual part. Maybe I'm taking it a little too far, but when it said the whole earth is groaning, and when these plates, scientifically they can explain that, when these plates that make up our planet, when they shift, it causes the earthquake. Pressure builds and they move and it creates the earthquake. I believe the earth is literally groaning under the sin, the heartache, and the heartbreak. And you know what the earth is groaning for? It's groaning for Christ to come and set up his kingdom where the lion will lay down, the lamb will lay down by the lion, and a child will pray at the hole of the asp, and nothing shall hurt or harm in my holy mountain. Can you say, man, the whole earth is groaning for the manifestation of the sons of God. When we come here to rule and reign with him, it's going to be a whole different ball game down here. Can you say, man, hallelujah. Glory to God. I can't wait for Jesus to come. Maranatha. 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 But the spirit of addiction is strong. And it's here. 
and we're at a crisis point. Some states are just, they're befuddled of what to do. They're suing pharmaceutical companies that have pushed these things so hard and physicians who have written prescriptions without any concern about the consequences. And what we don't realize about anything that alters our ability to discern and to, to think clearly Whatever kind of drug or beverage it might be, it, it opens the door for a devil that never could come in without that door being opened. Amen. Before they would become demon, literally demon controlled in Haiti, I saw it. They, they would take a particular type of, 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 of uh, opiate, some kind of, of drug so that they could, they could just put themselves aside and make room for that demon to come in. And we saw demon possession. We didn't see Christians that don't know how to deal with their own flesh. Amen. We saw people that were actually demon-possessed in Haiti. Brother Spain and myself and Bobby Burnett, we support that same missionary, Bobby Burnett. By the way, he doesn't just feed the, feed the children. Amen. He ministers the gospel and he prays for the sick and he's been known to cast out devils. Praise God. He's Pentecostal from his head to his foot and all in between. And I thank God to be part of that ministry in Haiti every month like we promised. Hallelujah. God is on the throne. I believe we're going to have a return because of the hunger. Amen. To be right with God. This hunger that God's putting in the hearts of people for His Word, to hear something that's not just relevant to our material possessions and our physical things, but relevant to our soul and relevant to eternity. Amen. Someone that has an understanding of the times, that we might know what our priorities and values should be. Not someone just preaching something that is that is tickling our ears and making our flesh uh, enjoy some pleasure. Listen, no, it's not about that. We're way past that. We're living in a dangerous time. It's called a perilous time. And we need a clear word from the Lord. Can you say man? I started out one way today. Just going to talk about worry. But you can see where God has taken it. Amen. Why did he take it there? Because he wants us to get under his wings. Where he can protect us. To to get close to him. To not see how far we can push the envelope. What we can do and still claim grace and mercy. But how can we live closer to God in this day when the falling away has already begun. Amen. I want to be an upstream Christian in this downstream world. And does that resonate? I saw a book with that title. Never cracked the book. Just got excited over the title. Hallelujah. Sitting at a table at a pastor's meeting. We were talking. There was another pastor overheard us talking. And, and he heard me say that, and he grabbed his pencil and paper and pad. He carries it around to get sermon ideas. Well, I believe the Holy Spirit allowed him to overhear us talking. And he ran over to our table, and he pulled it out, and he said, An upstream Christian in a downstream world. That's where we're... And boy, he started sermonizing. I mean, he was preaching it to, back to us. Hallelujah. And I thought, you get it. You're, you're not passive. You're not sitting idly by pretending everything is just fine. You understand we're in a war. We're in a struggle. But it's a winnable war. And it's a struggle that God said, I'll help you to win. Can you say, man? The pressure's going to come. The Thelpsis is here. In this world you'll have tribulation. But the next breath out of his mouth, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. One translation said, I've robbed it of power to harm you. Amen. If you follow me, the devil will never horn swoggle you. That's not their testament Greek. That's Brother Venable. The devil will never haunt you. know what I'm saying. He'll never hoodwink you. He will never deceive you. He will not get you to crack that door open to give place to him. And if you don't give place to him, he has absolutely no authority to take any ground from you or to take any ground from me. The only way he can do anything in our life is if we give ground to him. I've said it before, I want to say it again as we close. We grew, I grew up very poor. 
Roundabout House had two seats. While they were building a Jim Walter home, they just built this Jim Walter homes. I guess that construction company may exist today. If you could afford a piece of land and pay it off, you needed no down payment. They would build you a house on that piece of land. If you had the deed to the piece of land, you let them have the deed, and they would build you a house on it. Our home was never finished before my mom and dad divorced. They, they never finished it. Where the bathroom was supposed to be, there was a curtain hanging. There was no bathroom facilities inside. Uh, we, we never got all the wall boarding up before they divorced. And we, so they had an outhouse that we, could, we were using temporarily till we finished that house, which never got finished. But the principle was, if you could get a piece of land paid for, somebody gave it to you or deeded it to you, you give the deed to Jim Walder Corporation, they build you a little wooden home on it. But you have to give them the deed to the land for them to build on it. And let me tell you about the devil today. You've got to give place to giving place. You know what the word place means in the Greek? Terra firma. It means land. It means earth. You have to give him the deed to the land, the right to build something in your life, a stronghold. An addiction is a stronghold in a life. And he can't just make you do it, particularly as a Christian. You have to open the door. But when that door is open, he's watching for it to open. In fact, the Old Testament said sin crouches at the door. Isn't that an amazing thing? The devil's not way off somewhere. Uh, you know, he is looking for the opportunity. He's looking for the inroad. And I think we ought to put an un unwelcome mat out. I was looking for one the other day to illustrate this sermon. You know, it's hard to find an unwelcome mat. But spiritually, we ought to put an unwelcome mat out. We ought to make it very clear. We're not going to give any ground. We'll make no concessions, no compromises. We're not going to use grace as a cover-up for our sinfulness. It's not there, amen, to, to, to give us license to sin. It's there when we do sin so that we can be forgiven and we can be made safe from the enemy. It took my uncle's health away. Fact is, he hurt his back when he was weightlifting, trying to stay in shape. Pastor of a prestigious church, wanting to look good in his suit on Sunday morning. But in his life, he was falling apart. And he fell completely apart. And he went from opiate addiction to alcohol addiction. He went from a pulpit in a prestigious Pentecostal church, tongue-talking, prophesying. He went from that to addiction. I went to the hospital to visit him because my grandmother called and said, your uncle's in the hospital. So I went to visit him. When I got to the hospital, they had him strapped to the bed. And I asked the nurse, why is he strapped to the bed? He said he's, he's going through withdrawal from drugs. Not street drugs, prescription drugs. I went over and took him by the hand. And when I picked up his arm, I haven't been around the street people with collapsed veins. But I told you he was mashing the pills into powder, putting them in a syringe in a saline solution and injecting them directly into his vein. He became so addicted emotionally, spiritually, mentally, physically, that he literally was just as hard-pressed to get that drug in his system as anybody out here doing heroin or cocaine. So it wasn't the street drug. that opened the door for the spirit of addiction. You see, Dave Wilkerson knew 
You've got to deal with this spirit realm. You can't just use methadone treatment, some substitute for the drug while getting someone off the drug. They can get all the chemical out of their body in a month or two. But you can't get that spirit of addiction off that throne in that heart and life. And the government program was 80% recidivity. They went right back to it after they got them off of it. Dave Wilkerson's program was 80% got drug-free and stayed drug-free. So the government got very interested in Teen Challenge. A lot of young people were addicted and, and during the drug culture of the 60s. And so he, 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 they, they called him to Washington, D.C. He published a little book, The Jesus Factor. And they offered him a government grant of at least a million to start with and others to follow. They were going to help him to sponsor his program because it was so absolutely successful getting people delivered from drugs. And he, But there was a catch to it. They said, but separation of church and state, you can operate under any name, but you can't use, you can't be specific you can't use the name of Jesus in the program. He said, if I can't use the name of Jesus, there is no program. He said, Jesus is the program. And Jesus is the reason that people are being delivered and staying free from drug addiction. Can you say, man, it's the power in that name. Amen. And they said, well, we're not giving you nothing. He said, I'm not going to have anything if I take the money and I don't have Jesus and get Jesus into their heart and get this spirit of addiction off the throne and get Jesus on the throne. Can you say amen? Hallelujah. And I'm glad. Oh, we don't need the government sponsoring us. Oh, no, we do not need them telling us what we can say and what we cannot say. Listen, this is it. This is it. It's winding up. Marvel not if the world hate you. It hated me before it hated you. If the world embraces you, you have nothing to be glad about because the, the world loves its own. He said, Father, don't take them out of the world. They're the light. They're the salt, right? Don't take them out, but keep them from the evil one. Teach them how to overcome the devil that's going to tempt them and try them. Amen. Don't give ground to him. Because if you don't give it up, he has no authority to take it if you're a Christian. Hallelujah. 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 Glory to God. When I, when I was going through what nervous exhaustion... We went to Atlanta. I told you this as we closed. We went to Atlanta. We stayed in a bed and breakfast instead of a motel. It was as cheap as a motel. Went there for a, a, a meeting they were having in the Omni in downtown Atlanta, a Christian meeting. But I was, I was tore up from the flow up. I was going through nervous exhaustion. Heaven seemed a million light years away and God seemed so distant. When I needed him most, I couldn't sense him, feel him because my emotions and nerves were frayed. And I went to the doctor because of health concerns. I was, I was losing weight. Uh, everything, I, I don't want to get too graphic, but everything went straight through me. I would eat a meal and, and, and have to go to the bathroom and undigested food because of my stomach being so tore up would go straight through me. I would finally fall asleep at night in the wee hours after tossing and turning. Sleep fled from me. And I would wake up with, a, with terrible pain because I would, I would grit my teeth and catch my tongue in between the gritting while sleeping and bite my tongue so bad that I'd wake up with a mouthful of blood and terrible pain. Try to keep the blood off the pillow. Try to keep the blood off the sheets till I could get in the bathroom and, and, and get some water and spit the blood in the sink. And, and I've literally put a handkerchief, a white handkerchief, and wrapped my tongue up to get it to coagulate and quit bleeding and then try to go back to sleep. I was in bad shape when I hit Atlanta looking for help and hope in God. The God that I preach and the devil would scream at me, you preach to others, now look at you. 
how did you get in this shape? Why didn't you cast your burden on the Lord? Who are you to preach to anybody? What a liar he is. I'm just the man to preach about this because I've been in that place. And I can tell you there is victory, no matter how deep and dark the valley. Amen. And when he felt like he was a million miles away, he was right there by my side. Or, or I would have been consumed by all of this. But I went, I went to that, I went to that, that bed and breakfast. Sure enough, we walked in the room and it surely was nice. And we walked in that room and there sat a bottle of wine and a fruit bowl and two glasses. And I thought to myself, you know, I've never tried to drink a little alcohol, never drank any since I've been saved. But I bet you if I'd, I, you know how your mind works. You go play this in your mind. If I drink a couple of glasses of wine, and I'm because my mother used to drink Mogan David in order to go to sleep at night. She had trouble sleeping. She drank a big glass of wine, went to sleep. A little wine for your stomach's sake. The devil's got all kinds of devices. Just crack the door. Open the door. Crack the door. Crack the door. Crack the door. Christians right now are cracking the door. They don't realize what they're doing. They think somebody's putting pressure on them, putting legalism, putting a trip on them. No, somebody's trying to keep you safe. Somebody's trying to keep you from getting hooked. Can you say, man, listen to me carefully. I looked at that and I thought, no, no, no. No, no. See, temptation don't prove you're wicked. It proves you're human. Listen, I thought, what if it does work? What if I get my relief through two glasses of that wine that I can't seem to get yet from God? You know what it would do? It would make me go to the wine. It's easier to pour me another glass of wine than it is to seek the Lord till He come. Amen. And to press on in. Pray. And I said, no. What If I die from this, I'm not going to turn to that instead of Him. I will not turn to that instead of Him. Without Him, I'm hopeless. Without Him, I'm helpless. I will not turn to a chemical. There's no substitute for His love. No substitute for His peace. No substitute for His power. Can you say, man, I do not want to become addicted to anything but Jesus. I want to be wrapped up. Tied up. Tangled up in Jesus. Can you say, man, if Jesus can't do it, I'll just have to die. But I'll die putting my trust in Him. Looking for Him. Seeking Him. Hallelujah. 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 And I said, no. 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 That bottle set right there with the cork in it. Hallelujah. Praise God. And I didn't realize all the spiritual dynamics of that. But I realized it looking back on it. And I finally went to a doctor and the doctor said, your body, because of the stress you're carrying, is like an overloaded fuse box. Any organ, heart, kidney failure, any organ in your body could fail at any time. And no one would be surprised. And he was a Christian doctor, last patient. When I got to see him, I was his last patient because he was going to close his practice, go to African Inland Missions and be a medical missionary for the rest of his life instead of retiring. He said, I can give you. And this is, listen, if you're taking something that you need, don't just take that. Continue to seek the Lord. Does that make sense to you? If you're taking a medicine you need, don't just quit the medicine. Take it, but continue to seek the Lord for your healing and for your help. Is that, is that okay? Listen, because if you become absolutely dependent on the doctor and the medicine and they fail, you have nowhere else to turn. And I'm going to tell you, God won't fail you. If you just hang in there, he will not fail you. He's a promise keeper. Praise God. And so, so he said, I can give you something to help you right now with your anxiety, with the nerves, with the depression that all of that has brought you. I can give you something. I can write you a prescription. And then he jumped up on that, you know, that 
cold table that you sit on with the paper over it, you know, so they can throw it away when you get your bad shelf off of it. Amen. I'm sitting up there, and he jumped up there with me. And he wasn't a young guy. And he he was kind of a big fella. He jumped up there beside me, put his arm around me. He said, I can write you a prescription right now, or we can pray. And he got a twinkle in his eye. And I thought, Lord, have mercy. I got the right doctor this time. <laughs> can you say amen? Or we can pray. But here's the deal. I had been praying and I had been prayed for. And the devil is just sitting there saying, prayer ain't going to save you. Prayer ain't going to help you. You better take something that's going to help you because God's not listening. God's not going to come through. You know what the devil is? He's a liar and he's the father of it. But you have to recognize that lie to keep from believing it because it seems the way you feel and sense, it seems to have truth in it. And the truth was, God was right there with me, but I couldn't sense Him in that state of emotion that I was in, that emotional distress and mental distress. He said, or we can pray. I said, let's pray. Let's pray because what the devil wanted, he not only wanted to destroy me, he wanted to destroy the ministry that has touched so many lives since that day. So many people we have prayed for that God has set free. He wanted me out of the pulpit declaring Jesus Christ the same yesterday, today, and forever. Can you say amen? He saw this day. He saw the media ministry. He saw the people that got saved and the people that got healed and the people that got delivered and the people that got set free. He saw that coming. He didn't see it in a vision. He just saw the anointing on me and he knew that's what it's going to produce if he goes on. So take him out. So I went from that doctor's office to Atlanta to a Christian meeting. Turned down the chemical again. And kept on seeking God and I thought, I'm running late. I don't know the city. Never been to the Omni in downtown Atlanta during the rush hour. But anywhere near Atlanta during the rush hour is tough. But I decided, Lord, I know you want me there. I didn't drive up here just to sit up here and try to find peace through a chemical. I came up here as part of seeking God and to submit myself to anointed ministry. And that's when I... Went round and around the Omni. Parking garage was full. Parking spots on the street was full. And I'm driving around two blocks, circle, round and round and praying. And, and, and once again, it wasn't just the devil. It was my own, my own thinking. If God wants you there, he'd make a way for you to get there. There's no way you're going to get there. The service will be started. Just go back home. Go back and he didn't put it in those words. Go back and sit and go back to your room, sit in the gloom and ponder doom. I didn't want that either. God's bigger than that. Christ is better than that. So, but I was in that state. So I'm, I'm circling around, circling around. And I'm just about saying, well, you know, it doesn't make sense. I imagine the service has started. The singing has probably started. And there's no place to park here in Atlanta. Every parking space is full. And while I was pondering that, a car pulled out in front of me and opened up a space. And I'm going to tell you, they got cars right now that will park themselves. They do. You push a button, sit back, and it will parallel park you. And I'm going to tell you, I hadn't parallel parked in a long time. There's, I'm not around the city. I'm a country boy. I want to pull in, you know, and... But I tell you, the Holy Spirit, I was so glad that God gave me that little, that little something, that little glimmer of hope. God opened up a parking spot for, for me. I, I don't remember parallel parking, but I parallel parked. <laughs> Amen. And then I ran 
about a block and a half to the entrance to the Omni. I ran inside. I ran up one of the aisles and looked down the aisle. There was not an empty seat anywhere. Singing had begun. The preaching hadn't started. I didn't go for the singing. I went for the word. Amen. Faith comes. Faith comes. Faith comes. And sometimes the preacher needs to listen. Amen. Not just to himself either. Amen. And so I I went to the, the second double door and I peered and there was no seat nowhere and people were standing in the back. I went to the third door and there was no place to sit. And I walked back out in the foyer of this big arena, this big auditorium. And that's when a little old lady, now she wouldn't be a little old lady. She'd just be, you know, my age. But she came up to me and she said, sir, are you looking for a seat? And I said, yes, ma'am, I am. But it looks like it's full. I thought I'd just stand in the back when they start the ministry. I just stand in the back. And she said, no, you're not. She said, do you believe God talks to people today? I said, yes, ma'am, I sure do. I think, and I wish he'd tell me something. Amen. <laughs> I'm here to hear from him. Amen. Somebody's going to preach, but I'm here to hear from God. She said, let me tell you something, sir. She said, me and my two sisters in the Lord came to this meeting. We came early and we sat in the front of the auditorium. And there was another sister going to join us. So we put our purses in that seat to save it for her. And we were sitting there and said the ushers kept saying, anybody got a seat, an empty seat? All the seats are taken. Anybody got an empty seat? Said we never raised our hand because a lady told us she would meet us there. And we were saving the seat for her. We sat there and the music started. And she said the Holy Spirit came on me and spoke to me. Said get your purse out of that seat. And I, she said, I was about to call an usher and say, we got a seat right here. He said, no, it's not for anybody. It's for somebody that I will show you. And then she said, the Holy Spirit told me, said, go out in the foyer and I'll show you who that seat's for. Because that other lady never showed up. And she said, sir, I came out here and there's people all over the place. And the Holy Spirit said, that man right there. I said, look at him, look at him. God gave me a place to park, saved me a front row seat because he wanted to minister to me. Lord, 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 I'm walking on air. I didn't didn't remember parking the car and I really don't remember walking down front. I just remember God show does love me and wanted to help me when I couldn't help myself. And I didn't need great faith. I needed a faithful father who would not fail me when my faith was shaken and my doubts were strong. God was faithful. God, oh, no temptation has taken you, but such is common to man. But God is faithful who will not allow you to be tempted above that that you are able to bear, who will with the temptation make a way of escape that you might be able to bear it wow and I sat down front and I heard a message that I preached a hundred times in a six month period have faith in God I got a complex problem I got a situation here (laughs) I need something no no this came through the anointing. It became more than logos, words on the page, as holy as they are. It became rhema. It jumps off the page into your heart. Were you immediately delivered? No. But I saw the glimmer of hope. I had the, the, If you had faith as a grain of mustard seed, well, there it came. Amen. Faith rose up. Hallelujah. And I knew, I don't know how to explain it. I had symptoms after that, but I knew these symptoms won't last, but God's word will. Hallelujah. Oh, you didn't hear me. 
I said these symptoms won't last, but God's Word will. I may have symptoms tomorrow, but one day these symptoms are going to go, but God's Word is eternal. Heaven and earth will pass away, but His Word will, if it ever gets in your heart, it will abide forever. Can you say amen? Hallelujah. And I went through a lot of other ups and downs through the course of this thing. But one day, one day, I didn't gnaw my tongue and wake up with a mouth full of blood. One night I I went to sleep and slept for five hours straight, which I had never slept that many hours in months. And I rejoiced. I got up praising God. I woke up Pamela. I said, Pamela, Pamela, Pamela. She said, what? I said, I slept for five hours. She said, Come on, dance with me. Shout with me. You don't understand what this means for me. But she began to understand when she saw God bring her husband out of that deep, dark, dismal valley and put my feet. He lifted me from the miry clay. He didn't put me on the edge of that horrible pit so I could slide back in, but he put my feet on a rock. He established me in His Word, in His love, in His grace, in His power. Can you say, man, in His faithfulness? Hallelujah. And you know what He said? The humble, negative use of that very positive virtue, the humble shall hear thereof. And they will be glad when they hear what God did for David. They will take courage in their own heart, in their own life. Can you say amen? So I'm still sharing my testimony today. I'm not just preaching as a man who has lived on a mountaintop and never known the darkness of that valley. But I'm preaching and teaching as a man who's been in the valley and discovered the greatness and the graciousness and the goodness of God. Even when I was falling down, he was standing up. For he ever lives to do what when we hurt, when we falter? To make intercession. That's why the first Christian martyr, when he was being stoned to death, he looked up into heaven and he saw Jesus standing. You know, Jesus said, I'm going to sit until the earth become my footstool. My work is finished. His work concerning salvation and all that implies is done at the cross and the resurrection. But His work in our behalf is ongoing. He ever lives to make intercession. He said He's not sitting there. Amen. He is standing. Hallelujah. At the right hand of God. Glory to God. And then He fell asleep in Jesus. They finished piling the stones on his body, but he was, he was with the Lord. Amen. Hallelujah. The devil's looking for the door, the place as we close, really close. Jim Walter will build a home if you deed give him the deed to paid off property. Satan wants you to give him the deed in order to build a stronghold. And a Christian can do it just like anybody in the world can do it. doesn't mean they're possessed, but it means he has an influence. It's oppression, not possession. Oppression is strong and many times requires a prayer of deliverance, but it's not possession. It is oppression. There is a difference. And if we deny the oppression of Christians, we're denying that we can give ground to the devil. And we can, and many times I say it with tears, we do. You did run good for a while, Paul said. Out of the gate, you took off. What did hinder you? What broke your stride? What broke your momentum? What happened? You had to give place. You can't just blame the devil. You have to... Assume responsibility. You have to repent and seek God for forgiveness and deliverance. But if you do, He will abundantly pardon and He will set you free. Can you say, man, hallelujah? I said, He will set you free. Are you glad today to have a pastor that's been in the valley? that knows what the valley is like and can tell you through personal experience and the authority of God's Word, God is faithful. There's victory ahead for anyone addicted today.
Hallelujah. I'm so glad God set me free. I'm glad for the Jesus factor. I'm glad to be living in the time that we are living because we're in the kingdom. As tough as it is, we're in the kingdom for a time such as this. Hallelujah. We're important to God's program in the last days. And I believe as we pray effectively and we live victoriously, that many souls are going to be swept into the kingdom just before the coming of Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. 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 Did you get anything out of this preaching and teaching and testimony today? Hallelujah. Will you stand to your feet? And brother, will you give us a, a, a list here? We're going to praise God and, and thank God for what he's doing right here at this very moment. As we go forward in faith and in the Lord. Father, I thank you. I praise you. I praise you. Hallelujah. Didn't I walk on the water? That's it right there. I knew it was close. Praise God. How many's ever been through a valley? How many may be going through one right now? Anybody in a valley? Some kind of valley of decision or valley of, of, of recovery from something? I'm not talking about addiction. I'm talking about just in a deep, dark valley. Let's praise Him in this song and seal our faith in His faithfulness.